0: Harvest New Beginnings Church is located in Oswego, Illinois. We exist for God's glory alone, encouraging each other to have a deep love for God and a sincere love for people. This message is brought to you by Pastor Scott Poling. What does heartbreak sound like? You ever thought of that? The sound of a heartbreaking. The sound of heartbreak is maybe hearing the words of a doctor. You have cancer. Or we couldn't find a heartbeat. Finding out you've miscarried. Maybe it's grandparents being told, we don't want you involved anymore in the lives of our children. The sound of heartbreak a husband or wife saying, I don't love you anymore. I want a divorce. Police officer showing up at your door with the solemn words, there's been an accident. Going into work and being told that we're downsizing. We have to let you go. Or a child... Hearing from mom or dad, I know you're going to miss your friends, but we have to move. Or your dad and I, or your mom and I, are getting a divorce. The sound of heartbreak. Many different objects can can shatter a glass vase many different words, different people, different circumstances can shatter our hearts and, and cause our hearts to split down the middle, to cause our hearts to break or to even have somebody take a piece of our heart with them. Well, what do you do? What, what do you do when your heart is broken? How do, you, how do you possibly move forward when your heart is in pieces? What do you do when life stinks? When it just stinks? And that's the series we're in, because sometimes, let's be realistic, life stinks. Sometimes we have to deal with people we don't want to deal with in their toxic relationships. And sometimes there's so much pressure, and we are stressed out. Those were the first two messages we looked at, and I encourage you, just get the podcast if you didn't listen to them, and let God's Word minister to your heart. Today, we're going to look at heartbreak, because you know what? Life stinks when our heart is broken. So, So how do we handle a broken heart? Number one is this, expect it. Expect a broken heart. Why? Because broken hearts happen in a broken world. Say that with me broken hearts happen in a broken world. And every single heart in this place is going to break multiple times, in multiple ways, at different degrees. It's not a matter of if, but when, and over what. And you may say, man, I'm so glad I came to church this morning. Thanks a lot. I'm not trying to be negative. I'm not trying to be pessimistic. I just want us to be realistic. Because some people think there's something wrong when their heart breaks. This is a broken world. And our hearts break in a broken world. As a matter of fact, the very first human hearts were broken hearts. They were broken one time knowing sinless perfection and losing it. They were broken as husband and wife, evicted from a garden paradise. Talk about a broken heart. Their hearts were broken when they received the news that their oldest son had murdered their youngest son. The very first humans got that news. Cain killed Abel. Well, Adam and Eve knew broken hearts. And every single human ever since has experienced broken hearts numerous times. This is a sinful, fallen, broken world. Expect broken hearts. This is a world that is groaning over brokenness. As a matter of fact, Romans chapter 8. We know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but also we ourselves having the first fruits of the Spirit, say it with me, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. There are times we physically groan because our bodies are breaking down. We emotionally groan over trials we face. We spiritually groan. We long for things to be made right when they are wrong. Sometimes, though, our broken hearts are caused by others, and 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 at other times, our broken hearts are caused by ourselves. What do you mean? Well, take, for instance, somebody who has a heart attack. Sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes... A person suffers a heart attack because of their poor lifestyle choices. Years of neglect, not caring for their body. And then all of a sudden there's a heart attack and everything has to change. They need to start eating healthy, they need to start exercising. Sometimes our broken hearts are caused by poor life choices that you and I make. And we have to change the way we're living. We need to start making wise, godly choices, because sinful ones come with consequences. The wisdom of Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, was a student of humanity. And he penned incredible words in the book of Ecclesiastes, and he penned incredible words in Proverbs. Wisdom. In Proverbs 19.3, as he studies humanity, he says these words, The foolishness of man ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. Many a man, many a woman breaks their own heart over foolish choices. They ruin their marriage. They ruin a business with greed, poor decisions. They ruin their own health. They ruin relationships with friends or ruin a relationship with their own children. Sometimes you and I suffer self-inflicted broken hearts. And sadly, when people do that, sometimes those self-inflicted broken hearts become raging, blaming broken hearts. We want to blame everybody else for our poor choices and what's happened. We want to blame God. Proverbs 19.3 again, it's the foolishness of man that ruins his way and his heart rages against the Lord. Why? Why? Because of pride? Why? Why these hearts that break and then want to blame others? Because Jeremiah 17 says these words, the heart is more deceitful than all else and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart. See, we need to understand something about my heart and your heart and every single heart of inhumanity. There's incredible deceit and depravity in every single one of our hearts. There's a depth of depravity in the human heart that is beyond comprehension that God alone gets it. We are deep in depravity and deception. Self-deception. Proverbs twenty eight, twenty six says, He who trusts in his own heart is a what? Is a fool. He who walks wisely will be delivered. Basically, the worst advice you could give yourself or anybody else is, follow your heart. Just follow your heart, whatever your heart tells you to do, follow your heart. Worst advice you could give yourself or anybody else is follow your heart or follow your feelings. Because your heart is deceitful, it's deceptive. Follow God and follow His Word, don't follow your heart. Every heart will break. Sometimes it's self-inflicted breaks. But we do have to be careful of these hearts because sometimes, sometimes we're hurt by other people. And we vow we will never be hurt by another person again. And we will never suffer a broken heart again. And we avoid broken hearts at all costs. And then we stop caring for people. And we stop loving other people. C.S. Lewis wrote in the book Four Loves on this, and he said these words. There is no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything, and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to who? No one. Not even to your pet. Why? Because that thing's going to die on you. Ugh. He says, wrap it, that is your heart, carefully around with your hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in a casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe and dark, motionless, airless, it will change. What will? Your heart. It will not be broken or it will not be broken again, I think better said. It'll become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and perturbations, that's the uneasiness, anxieties of love, is hell. So the answer is not to stop caring for people. The answer is not to stop loving people. You know why? Because there's something far worse than a broken heart, and that's a hardened heart. There's something worse than a broken heart, and that's a hardened heart. So, so how do we handle these broken hearts? Well, we expect them because broken hearts are going to happen in a broken world. Secondly, we cry out. We cry out to God because broken hearts are never abandoned hearts. Praise God. Say it with me. Broken hearts are never abandoned hearts. And I just want to encourage you. You want to read a book of the Bible that deals with broken hearts? Read the book of Psalms. It's the heart cry of broken people crying out to God in their lives and all that has gone wrong. And I want to read you some of the Psalms of David right now. Just listen to the heart cry of David. Psalm 13. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart? How long? All the day. He's saying, God, I feel abandoned. Where are you? How long is my heart going to be broken? And how long am I going to go through this pain? And how long am I going to face this? He says, my heart is just flooded like some of your basements just flooded with so much sorrow and more is pulling in and pouring in and I can't get rid of it. I can't pump it out. I've lost electricity and all the sorrow just keeps coming in. That's where David is. Psalm 22. I'm poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within me and melting like wax is what his heart is. You know what it's a picture of? Of utter Weakness. I have no strength left. I'm just dripping apart. I'm melting away under the heat and pressure and pain of life. Some of you are there. You just feel like the heat just keeps being turned up and the heat of pressure and the heat of pain, and I can't take any more. I'm just melting away. In Psalm 25, David says these words. Turn to me and be gracious to me. I'm lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distresses. Look upon my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. And so that in this troubled heart, he feels so alone. That's what happens when we, our hearts are broken. We don't feel like anybody understands. We feel all alone. We feel inflicted. And he says, I have an enlarged heart. And in this context, it's not a big thing. It's a good thing. It's enlarged with troubles. And by the way, self-inflicted troubles. He says, and forgive my sins. So he realizes David at this point, his sin has consequences and it's broken his own heart. And what we learn from David here is that he doesn't blame God. He confesses his sin. See, some of you here today, you've got to stop blaming other people and stop blaming God. Maybe you've made some poor choices and you need to ask for God's forgiveness and be humble toward Him. Psalm 38, selected verses, verse 8 and 10. David says, I'm benumbed. What does that mean? It means I'm emotionally dead. I don't feel anything anymore. Been there? He's so broken, he's just emotionally dead. No feelings left. He says, and badly crushed. All my feelings been crushed out of me by what's happened. I groan because of the agitation of my heart. My heart throbs in verse 10. My strength fails me. The light of my eyes, even that has gone from me. He says, my heart is so agitated. My heart is racing and throbbing. What you don't see is verse 4, verse 11, and verse 12, all the things he's dealing with. In verse 4 of Psalm 38, he says, My iniquities are gone over my head. Heavy burden, too much for me. to, Too too much, uh, they weigh too much for me. Again, it's his own sin. The consequences of his own sin are haunting him. But that's not all he's got going. Verse 11 of Psalm 38, My loved ones and my friends stand aloof from my plague. My kinsmen stand afar off. He's totally been abandoned by his family and friends. His friends don't want anything to do with him anymore. His family doesn't want anything to do with him anymore. But that's not all he's dealing with. In verse 12, those who seek my life lay snares for me. They devise treachery all day long. They seek to injure me. His own sin, his family and friends have abandoned him. Plus, he's got his enemies in his life. He's completely overwhelmed. He's got brokenhearted pieces all over the place. Psalm 55, David again. Give heed to me and answer me. I'm restless in my complaint. I'm surely distracted. That's what happens with a broken heart. We lose focus in life and we're distracted. Because of the voice of the enemy. Because of the pressure of the wicked. They bring down trouble upon me. And in, and in anger they bear a grudge against me. My heart is in anguish within me. And the terrors of death have fallen upon me. Fear and trembling come upon me. The ho- and horror has overwhelmed me. He's restless. He's restless. He's distracted. He's pressured. He's troubled. He's fearful. He's trembling. He's overwhelmed. David's life stinks. He says, My heart is in anguish. Why? What you don't see is verse 12 through 14. Psalm 55 says, It's not an enemy who reproaches me, then I could bear it. Psalm 13, he says, It's you, a man, my equal, my companion. And my familiar friend, we who had sweet fellowship together and walked in the house of God, there is no pain like the pain of betrayal. And he's been betrayed by one of his closest friends. He says, God, I can't take it. I can't take it. Psalm 109. He says, I'm afflicted and needy. My heart is wounded within me. He has this wound that doesn't heal. Ever have a wound? You just can't get it better? He's like, My heart will not heal. I'm tired of the pain. I'm tired of going through this. When is this going to end, God? See, I want you to understand you're not alone. David suffered multiple broken hearts throughout his entire life, over so many different things. And what I love about David is he's so vulnerable. And he's so transparent. And He says, I, I just want to share with God what has happened. And as he shares with God, he shares with you, and he shares with me. And we are the beneficiaries of all of David's pain and all of his brokenness. And so it's almost like David is on an operating table and we get to look at the heart surgeon, God, as he operates on his heart. And we get to be in the operating room and we get to see this ravaged heart with so much pain. And we get to learn how to deal with our own painful hearts as we see his painful hearts. So one thing we learn is that God doesn't abandon us. And and so we listen to the cries of pain. And and in this same point, we see a few things here. One is that God is near to the brokenhearted. Say that with me. God is near to the brokenhearted. The context is David escaping for his life from Abimelech in in 1 Samuel 21. And we see Psalm 34. He says, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous. His ears are open to their cry. God, you are going to hear me and I praise you for it. Verse 17, the righteous cry and the Lord hears. He delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves those who are crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous. Yes, I'll have broken hearts, but the Lord delivers them out of them. How many? All. All. God is going to deliver me. God is going to take care of me. God is going to deliver you. God is going to take care of you. Cry out to your God. He's near to the brokenhearted. He saves, he delivers. Not only is he near to the brokenhearted, he strengthens the brokenhearted. We go to a psalm of Asaph. You need to understand Psalm 73. Asaph is sick of life. He's sick of this world. Everywhere he looks, The world, ungodly people are prospering. They're prospering in their relationships, and they're prospering in their businesses, and they're prospering in their finances, and they're prospering in their health, and they hate God, and they hate the people of God, and everywhere he looks, all the people in this world are prospering. And then he says, life isn't fair. God, I'm trying to serve you, and God, I'm going to church, and God, I'm trying to be good, and God, my life is falling apart. And he's filled with bitterness. And in his bitterness, he's filled with brokenness. Because life isn't fair. You and I get just like that too. Life isn't fair. Some selected verses in Psalm 73. When my heart was embittered and I was pierced within. He says, then I was senseless and I was ignorant. I was just like a beast before you. You know what he says? When I get bitter... I don't think straight. I almost become animalistic. I, I just, I'm senseless. The things I say I shouldn't be saying and the things I do I shouldn't be doing. That's what bitterness will do to our hearts, be careful. That carnality will have you saying things you should never be saying to your spouse, to your boss, to employees, to children. To uh, be careful. You get all bitter and feeling sorry for ourselves, we get senseless and irrational. Verse 25, he says, Whom have I in heaven, though, but you? Besides you, I desire nothing on this earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. God, I believe you're going to strengthen my heart. Verse 28, But as for me, the nearness of God is my good. God, you are close by and I've made the Lord God my refuge. I'm running to you for refuge, that, that I may tell of all your works. I believe you're going to work this out, so you call out to Him. When you're broken-hearted and when you feel weak, because He is near, He will be your strength, and He is your refuge. Psalm 55:22, "Cast your burden upon the Lord, and He will sustain you. He will never allow the righteous to be shaken. Don't hold on to that burden. Give it over to God. Cast it on him. Paul learned this lesson with the thorn in the flesh in 2 Corinthians 12. God would say to him, hey, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. So when you feel weak of heart, you're in a perfect spot because you're going to be relying on God more. And God is going to give you the strength that you need. He says, most gladly, therefore, I rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Bring it on, God. I feel weak. I'm waiting on your strength. And then he says, therefore, I'm well content with weaknesses. I'm going to stop complaining about it. I'm well content with weaknesses and insults and distresses and persecutions with difficulties with whatever's breaking your heart. For Christ's sake, for when I'm weak, then I'm what? Then I'm strong because in my times of greatest weakness i call out to god and wait on him who has all the strength and so you're at your strongest when you're at your weakness oh and by the way what you don't see is psalm 73 16 through 17 verse 16 through 17 teaches a very important lesson because when we're bitter and when we're broken heart, hearted oftentimes we feel sorry for ourselves And when we feel sorry for ourselves, we don't want anything to do with God. We don't want anything to do with the Bible. We don't want anything to do with going to church. I'm not going to church. I want you to notice the difference that happened in Psalm 73, verse 16. When I pondered to understand this, it was troublesome in my sight until I came into the sanctuary of God. That's where it changed for Asaph. He said, when I finally got my butt into God's house and I heard the word of God, life started to make sense. God changed my perspective. And so when you feel like the last thing I want to do is go into to God's house, guess what the first thing you should do? Get your backside in God's house because God is going to pull you out of your self-pity and pull you out of your pride, and he's going to use his word to speak right to your heart and right to my heart. And he's going to give us the right perspective that we need. And there's people that are not here this morning that should be here because they're feeling sorry for themselves. They need to hear what God has to say. So do I, and so do you. Near to the brokenhearted, strengthens the brokenhearted. We also learn that he heals the brokenhearted. In Psalm 147, the psalmist feels all alone and insignificant. And he comes to the conclusion he heals the brokenhearted and he binds up their wounds. So no matter how deep your wound is, no matter the broken heart that you have faced, God heals it when we cry out to him. So I want to encourage you, don't be filled with pity. Don't be filled with pride. Be filled with humility and get alone with your God and cry out to your God. That's how you handle a broken heart. How else do you handle it? Well, you got to trust. You got to trust God with your heart. Why? Because broken hearts are sovereignly permitted and controlled by God he's in charge. He knows what's going on. So when our hearts break, we're forced with a choice. Am I going to trust God or not? And I want to encourage you to trust God. And in Proverbs, we're told, Proverbs 3, 5, trust the Lord with what? All. All your broken heart, not just your heart. Trust him with the pieces of your heart. Trust him with whatever you got. Trust him with your heart, all of your broken heart. And don't lean on your own understanding. Stop trying to figure this out on your own. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. He will direct your path. So trust in the Lord is how this passage starts off. You trust in the Lord. Why? Because he's an all-knowing God. All-powerful God, everywhere present God, always dependable God, never lying God, always loving you God, never making a mistake God. Can you trust in your God? Yes. 1 Peter four nineteen. therefore those who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator, say it with me, in doing what is right. God is doing what's right, trust him. To trust in the Lord is to trust in his character. All you know him to be. John Phillips put it this way. We must trust him. We must trust him with all our heart. Anything less is what? An insult. To not trust God with all of our heart is an insult to God. If he knows all, and he's all-powerful, and he loves us perfectly, and he cares for us, and he's everywhere present, it's an insult to not trust God. Please understand, some of us here today, you need to stop insulting God. Because you haven't been trusting him. And you're insulting his power and you're insulting his character, his love, you're insulting his knowledge and all that he knows. Bruce Walkie put it this way, one is a fool to rely on his thimble of knowledge when you consider the vast ocean and depth of God's wisdom and knowledge. Uh, that's why he says in the second part of three five of Proverbs, and do not lean on your own understanding. Stop trying to figure it all out. We don't see the end from the beginning. We don't see the plan of God and its unfolding. And he says, instead of trying to figure it out, you acknowledge him in all of your ways. In all of your ways... That means all of your joyful ways, all of your broken ways, every decision you make, every direction you take. Acknowledge him in all of your ways. Acknowledge him, meaning recognize that, that, that the Lord has right and authority over everything. It's all his. Acknowledge him in everything. It means to acknowledge him. It means to desire his will for your life desire his will for the directions desire his will for the decisions and and it means to commit all your ways to him commit everything to him and to him and for him and what happens he'll direct your paths he'll make them straight it's going to work out he'll make sense of things that seem to make no sense at all i love this portuguese proverb god writes straight with crooked lines God writes straight with crooked lines. Because life at times is nothing but crooked lines. Just kind of line here, line there, line there. It doesn't make any sense. And then there's more crookedness added. Lord, I don't understand it. What what is this? And then in time, we see the plan. God writes straight with crooked lines. And we can look back at all these painful pieces And God is using them to make a perfect whole in his timing and in his way. So we've got to choose to trust God when we don't understand. And we've got to choose to believe God that it is all going to work out. Romans 8, well-known verse. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. We know, we know this That God is causing how many things? All things to work together for good. And then he says to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. So our job is not to figure everything out. Our job is to love God and keep serving the purpose of God. That's your job. That's my job. Not to figure it out. You just keep loving your God and you just keep serving the purpose of God. I had this happen in, in my life more recently. It was, it was a frustrating, strange thing that happened. A while back, I, I was asked to serve on the board of a Christian university, and it's a Christian university that I love and respect very much. And um, I was very excited about it, and I was interviewed multiple times by the president, by the board chair, by different people, all set to go. They invited me to, to preach in the chapel at this Christian university. And, um, and uh, I, I preached on, on the subject of sexual purity, which I think is very appropriate for those in college to understand. And, um, and after I preached that message, a couple weeks later, I was told my name was being removed from being considered... For the school to be on the board. And I thought, Lord, I don't get this. I, I know sexual purity is an important topic to preach to, co- and I know how to preach. I know how to preach, and I felt like I handled the text very well the, over two days. And so it was just, it was hurtful and confusing. And I just didn't get it, it made no sense. I can honestly say today, I praise God I'm not on that board. (laughs) With all my heart, I can tell you, I praise God I am not on that board. I am so thrilled. God knew. Because I would have been spending three to four times a year going to this university, multiple days each time, sitting in hours after hours of hours after board meetings. Or... I started to get phone calls. Scott, will you come to Poland for the European Leadership Forum and preach over five days to pastors and missionaries and encourage them? Yeah. Scott, will you come to Brazil next year and and start preaching and teaching our pastors and missionaries and, and pour into their lives? I would love to do that. I just was invited two weeks ago to go to Romania for a church revitalization conference. Will you come and speak to our pastors? We've got tons of churches that need revitalization. Will you encourage them? Yeah, guess what I would not have been able to do if I'd have been serving on that board? Not go to Poland, not go to Brazil, not go to Romania. God in his infinite wisdom knew that. And he let my heart ache And said, Scott, I know what I'm doing. I want to use your preaching to bless people. And I love pastors and I love missionaries. And I don't need to be sitting in hours of board meetings. God knew that. He knew that. So you here with a broken heart, God's got a plan. He's working something out. And we may not even see all of it this side of heaven but we have to trust him. We know Romans 8, 28, that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So you just keep loving God and you keep serving the purpose of God in your life. Now, let me give you a couple examples of men that we see in scripture that trusted and believed God. One is Job. Most of us know the story of Job. Talk about heartbreak. Let me just remind you. He was a man of extraordinary riches and wealth. Incredible wealth. So many business ventures, so much money coming in, so many possessions. He loses everything in one day and is instantly impoverished. From incredibly wealthy to instant poverty. He's blessed with a large family, 10 children. All ten of his children are tragically killed in one day, and he's left childless. Can you imagine going to that funeral? Ten caskets lined up as you bury all ten of your children. He enjoyed great health, and then he's afflicted with horrible, painful, disfiguring disease. And he's sitting down, scraping the pus-filled boils that cover from the head to his toe, all over his body. He, He had a loving, supportive wife who turns on him and tells him, you should just curse God and die. You know what she said? You're better off dead. That's a nice wife. He was held in honor and esteemed among the people, and then he's completely disrespected and abandoned. He's a man of unquestioned integrity, and he has friends that show up and and accuse him of all of this secret sin, none of which is true. He's a man who loves God and serves God and walks with God, and his life completely falls apart, and heaven falls silent. and he doesn't know what's going on with his life. Job's response, chapter 1, verse 20. He rose, he tore his robe, he shaves his head, he falls to the ground, and he what? He worships. Naked I came from my mother's womb, naked. I was born with nothing. I'm going to die with nothing anyway. The Lord is given, the Lord is taken away. Say it with me: Blessed be the name of the Lord. And through all of this, Job did not sin, nor did he blame God. He didn't even blame God. He just worshipped God. Later, he would utter these words in Job thirteen fifteen: Though he slay me, I will hope in him. God, even if you kill me, it's okay. I'm going to trust you. You know what he said? Thy will be done. Thy will be done. Remember Joseph? Talk about the pain of heartbreak. This young 17 or 18 year old, physically abused by his jealous, hateful brothers, thrown into a pit, rip off his prize coat, fake his death, slaughter a goat, put blood on it. Lie to their dad, your son is dead. For years and years and years, they lied to their dad. Your son's dead. They sold him into Egyptian slavery, never to be seen of again, never to be heard of again. He goes there, he's, he's bought by a guy named Potiphar. Potiphar's wife tries to sleep with him. He refuses. He's falsely accused of sexual assault. And he's thrown in prison for it. For at least Two years. Some believe up to 11 years. But remember, God writes straight with crooked lines. God writes straight with crooked lines. And Joseph will rise out of the obscurity of a pit and out of the obscurity of a prison. And God will exalt him to second in command of Egypt, the most powerful nation on the planet at the time. He's the vice president of Egypt, the most powerful nation. Not too long ago, he was in a pit, and he was in prison. And after revealing his true identity to his brothers as they make their way up during times of famine to make their way to Egypt to purchase food, and Joseph will reveal his identity and in a Genesis fifty 20, he'll say, as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for what? good in order to bring about this present result and preserve many people alive you know what he says god's got it god had it even when i didn't understand what was going on so listen some of you have people in your life that are meaning things for for evil they're gossiping about you they're slandering you they're going after you they, they've cheated you financially they've done something else it's all good. What they mean for evil, guess what? God is going to use it for good. So, how do you handle a broken heart? You expect them, and you cry out to God, and you trust Him. Next, you learn from your broken heart. You learn because broken hearts come with purpose and a plan. So, instead of feeling sorry for myself, And instead of you feeling sorry for yourself, we need to say, God, teach me. What are you teaching me through this broken heart? What do I need to learn through it? What lessons? Because it's not all loss. There's plenty to gain. And we need to look that way. Paul writing to believers facing troubles, actually facing persecution. And the application of these lessons, I believe, hold true for all trials, not just persecution. Romans chapter 5, verse 3. Not only this, but we exult in our tribulations. How can I get excited about a tribulation? Please! Knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. So he says, let me give you three valuable lessons that you're going to learn through your trials, tribulations, and broken hearts. One is perseverance. It means endurance. It means you're going to learn to tough it out. You're going to learn you don't quit. You're going to learn to continue to move forward, no matter the obstacle and no matter the opposition. Anybody here ever run a marathon? Any of you here want to? (laughs) See me afterward. No, I heard that. (laughs) James 1 2 through 3. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing the testing of your faith produces endurance. I've run a lot of marathons. Let me tell you, every road marathon I've ever run, I've always wanted to quit in those bad boys. There's been a time I just, no. And I have to suck it up and finish, and go through that finish line. And then I've used those marathons to start running ultras. And I've got another ultra, Lord willing, next spring. It's the hardest ultra east of the Mississippi. It's, it's called the Hellbender <laughs> 100. 40,000 feet of elevation change over five mountain ranges. I can't wait! <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment, man! It's going to be sweet pain. I'm going to get so much stronger and tougher because of it. When you run an ultra, you run all day, then you run all through the night by headlamp and into the next day. It's it's just it's crazy. I love it. <laughs> Can I tell you something? God has used my running to give me endurance and ministry. And I mean that sincerely. Because as pastors, we put up with stuff that you don't even want to know. And God has used those running things to teach me to tough it out. Tough it out. And you know what? He's going to teach you to tough it out. You tough it out, and you learn to persevere, and you learn to endure in this life. Yeah, it is hard, but God is going to see you through. He's going to give you the strength. And next, He says this not only are you going to grow in perseverance, it's going to prove your character. He says proven character. Perseverance leads to proven character because pain and heartbreak will be experienced in this world. Understand that. And what is it going to do? It's going to prove your character. What do you mean? Character is unproven until character is tested. Your character is unproven until you've gone through the fire. And by the way, that's exactly what this term means. It comes from the idea of testing metals, burning off impurities like gold and silver. They burn off the impurities. Why? They turn up the heat. Do you realize when, when God allows the heat to be turned up in our life, he's burning off the impurities. He's testing your character. If, if we're not tested, our character's unproven. See, take this keyboard over here. Just to let you know, I play the keyboard so much better than Natalie Kastner. I just I just do. <laughs> Prove it, Pastor Scott. I, I I don't even know how to turn the thing on, <laughs> honestly. I would have no clue. See, I can say I can play the keyboard. Test me. And you'll see that I can't. You can say you trust God. You can say you love God. You can say you believe God and you're going to trust God no matter. He's going to test you. He's going to allow testing to take place. And it's going to prove that your character is true. And so welcome those tests, realizing, God, you're testing my character, aren't you? You're going to see if I'm going to believe you. You're going to see if I'm going to trust you. Yes, that's what he's doing. He's testing your character. You're going to grow in perseverance. He's going to prove your character. And then he says it's going to renew your hope. Proving character, hope. So pain and heartbreak realigns our hope and puts our hope where it should be and who it should be in. When I go through pain and heartbreak, it says look to God. He's our hope. See, some people put their hope in their friends. Wrong place. You go through a heartbreak, you put your hope in more money, because money's the answer to everything. No, it's not. And he's saying, your hope when you go through heartbreak is going to be realigned, and your hope is going to be refocused. So praise God for heartbreak, because God gets your attention and says, will you look up here? I'm your heavenly father, and I love you, and I'm in charge, and everything's going to be okay. Hope in me, not your friends. Hope in me, not your spouse. Hope in me, not your parents. Hope in me, not more money. Hope in me, not perfect health. Hope in me. And so heartbreak teaches us an important lesson about where to place our hope. Oh, so we grow in perseverance and we, he pro, it proves our character and we renew our hope. And there's another thing I want to talk to you about heartbreak, what it does. It makes us more sensitive. Some of us are hard and callous, tough guys. We're not really good at mercy. We're not really good at caring for people. Do you know what heartbreak sometimes does? It softens us and makes us more understanding to people who are suffering. Even compassionate. Second Corinthians chapter one. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our afflictions. Why? So that we will be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. With the comfort comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And so I go through heartbreak, you go through heartbreak. We experience the comfort of God, and God says it doesn't just stop there. Now I want you to comfort others who are going through the same thing. You go through the pain of a divorce that rips your heart out, and God comforts you. And now he says, there's going to be someone in your life pretty soon going through a divorce that you're going to be able to relate to, that you're going to be able to pray with, that you're going to be able to share scripture with, that you're going to be able to comfort them. You go through the pain of losing your business and bankruptcy and losing your home. God comforts you and now he says you're going to go through life here and you're going to run into somebody who's going through bankruptcy who's lost their job who's lost their home and you're going to be able to comfort them the way i comforted you so he's saying i want you to understand there's a purpose and it doesn't just end with you there's going to be ministry into other people's lives. Our son, when when he had to have brain surgery, and we watched Dawson being wheeled down the hallway of Lutheran general, not knowing if we would see him again. I got to tell you, it changed me. I mean, it changed me, is what it did. And so, when I run into a parent whose child is going through something serious, My heart is much more sensitive because I know what it's like to say, God, I don't know if I'm going to see my son again, but I trust him over to you. And so God uses these things in our own lives to encourage others. Broken hearts. Broken hearts teach us valuable lessons. Broken hearts reveal the character of God. Can I tell you what happens when our hearts break? Boy, do our prayer lives improve. (laughs) All of a sudden, we're praying to God like we haven't prayed before. We're praying with a fervency, and we're praying with an intensity, and we're praying with a frequency, and and man, are we praying. And we get to see God answer prayer. And, And all of a sudden, when we go through heartbreak, all of a sudden, we have a hunger for the word of God. We we want to know what God's word says and we want to know the promises of God and we, we learn the promises and we claim those promises and we memorize promises and we cling to those promises. The word of God's powerful. Charles Spurgeon said, there's no cordial of comfort like that which is poured from the bottle of scripture. Oh, the Bible is so beautiful. Read it every day, friends. Get into the word of God. Read it every day. Memorize it. Study it. And so our prayer life improves and our knowledge and hunger for the Word of God increases and and our faith goes deeper in our always faithful God. It was in 1882 that Louisa Stead wrote these words. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise, and to know, thus saith the Lord." Sing it with me jesus jesus how i trust him how i've proved him o'er and o'er jesus jesus precious jesus oh for grace to trust him more that's how you handle heartbreak and then one more thing you look ahead you know why Because broken hearts are one day going to come to an end. There's coming a day when there will be no more heartbreak. Praise God. Listen to the words of Romans chapter 8. For I consider the sufferings of this present time not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You ready to see glory? For this anxious, for the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from its slavery to corruption into the freedom and glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans, remember that, and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. Not only this, but we also, we also, we ourselves, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. For in hope, we've been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he has already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance, we wait eagerly for it. So we eagerly wait for the glory to be revealed. And we eagerly wait to be set free from the corruption of this broken world. Listen to the words of Revelation chapter 21. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will no longer be any death. No longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, behold, I am making what? All things new. And he said, right, for these words are faithful and true. God will dwell among us again. This will be a renewed heaven and earth, a new heaven and earth he's going to wipe away every tear no more death no more sorrow no more crying no more pain all things will be made new and by the way that includes hearts all hearts will be made whole and there will never be a broken heart ever again how do you handle a broken heart This is how you do it. You expect them. Because broken hearts happen in a broken world. You cry out to God. Because broken hearts are not abandoned hearts. You trust God. Because broken hearts are sovereignly permitted and controlled by God. You learn those lessons from God. Broken hearts come with a purpose. and They come with a plan. And we look ahead. Because broken hearts will one day... Come to an end. Praise God. If you've been prompted by this message and are in need of a new beginning or would like more information about Harvest's New Beginnings, visit at harvest.church.